Welcome to the Crossing today. Glad that you're here and making this part of your weekend. I also want to welcome our Southeast campus, our microsites, those who are watching online. Can we give them a huge hand? Just let them know we're glad that they're here. Well, I'm so proud of Riley and to see the hope and the healing that has happened in her life. And she is such an example for us. And I want to ask you just to continue to pray for her. Would you continue to ask God to heal her body and to heal her heart in the midst of this and to use that? Because we believe that that's what God does. He uses everything that happens to us. That's part of his promise to his benefit and to his glory. Well, do you ever make decisions by a coin toss? Maybe you're, you're trying to decide where to go out to eat, and so you know the whole process. You know, you flip the coin, somebody calls heads or toe, tails, and you decide, okay, we're going to decide where we're going to go out to eat, or what you're going to watch on Netflix, or who has to take out the trash. I mean, we are not a decisive bunch, are we? You know, we, we just use whatever we can to make these decisions. A coin toss, toss actually makes all kinds of decisions. It, it makes all kinds of things that in sports, you know, a coin toss will decide certain things in basketball, in baseball, in hockey, in soccer. But in football, the coin toss is a big deal. I mean, the Super Bowl is coming up, and we're hoping that the Patriots won't be back there this year. Is anybody with me? And the coin toss will decide who gets the ball first. And then if the game goes into sudden death overtime, the majority of the time, the team that wins the coin toss ends up winning the game. Well, there's other things that are decided by a coin toss. There's actually elections that have been decided by flipping the coin. There was, a, there was a small city in Alaska a few years ago where their election was tied at the end, and so they decided the winner by flipping a coin. And Portland, Oregon was named by a coin toss. Had it gone the other way, it would have been called Boston, Oregon. You did not know that, did you? So it's good to come to church to find out all kinds of important stuff. See, I think that's how we view happiness. It's, it's like a coin toss. It's just random. It is this moving target. Whatever we think will make us happy, when we finally get there, it seems like happiness has just moved on to someplace else. It just eludes us. And last week, we started this series called More Than Happy, and I asked a question that I'm hoping that somebody knows the answer of this, because if you don't know the answer, I'm going to feel like a failure, and I'm going to re-preach that whole message. And so here is the question right here. What makes you happy? No thing. Thank you so much. You, you're making me feel better, like uh, we can pull that up, that that is the answer. It is no thing. No thing can make us happy. And it's not that God doesn't want us to be happy. He does. But there is something deeper than happiness, and it is joy. And so let me give you just a few definitions of the difference between happiness and joy. And the first is this, is that happiness is external. Happiness is, is all of what happens outside of us. We are happy because of certain things that if they go good in our life, and it's up to you to control the outcomes. Here's the problem. You cannot control outcomes. You can influence outcomes, but you can't control outcomes. 
And while happiness is external, joy is internal. Joy is not based on the condition of the circumstance that you can have joy on your worst day. And if anyone is qualified to talk about this, it's the Apostle Paul. See, you can get mad at me, but you can't get mad at the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul talks about us having joy in all circumstances. And he writes this from a prison cell. It's in 2 Corinthians that he talks about all the things that he has gone through. He said he had been flogged five times, the same kind of flogging that Jesus received. He had been beaten with rods three times. He had been shipwrecked. He spent a night and a day in the open sea. He had been stoned, and I'm talking about the kind with rocks. He had been stoned. People wanted to kill him. And here's what he writes. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. And you think light and momentary troubles. When you hear the list of those things that he's gone through, none of us would call those light and momentary troubles. But he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, that joy outweighs happiness. That happiness is external. Joy is internal. Well, here's this next one is that happiness is based on the circumstance. That happiness is always based on the circumstance of your life. And the root word for happiness, we get this from a Latin word, the root word for happy is luck. That it's, you're kind of at the mercy of just this happening to us. It is just luck. And the literal definition of circumstance is the circle that you are standing in. That's what the literal definition, it's the circle that you're standing in. Or let me say it like this. It is the place that you just decide to dwell. It's the place in your life where you decide to dwell. That's your circumstance. Have you ever noticed that you can have two people who go through the same thing but have vastly different reactions to it? Because some people dwell in it and others don't. You may be letting the circle of your stance determine where you stay. And you just kind of stay there. But joy, it offers something else for us. Because joy is based on Christ. Joy is based on this relationship with Christ. And in this series... Part of what I want to do is for some of you who may not be followers of Jesus, I'm going to invite you to go on this journey with Jesus Christ because we just believe that Jesus changes lives. We just believe that Jesus will change your life. And last week we talked about this idea where it says that God had begun this good work in you. It says God begun a good work in you and he will complete it. Well, God does this in two ways. The way that God completes this good work, he started it in you. He does this in two ways. One is supernatural. He just changes you. You cannot explain it. You are just transformed. But the second is natural. That there are things that he's going to teach you. That there is a process that you have to learn them. And it's a process. We call it discipleship. The Apostle Paul will say later in Philippians, he'll say, I have learned to be content in every circumstance. 
See, some of this is supernatural. God just does it for us. That when we start a relationship with Jesus, he just does certain things for us. But other parts of this, it's natural. He has to teach us. It is a process. We learn it. Well, happiness is this next one. Happiness is by chance. It is by chance. As I said before, you know, the root word for happiness, it is luck. It is by chance that it happens. And the problem with happiness is it's not up to you. If you're lucky, you might have a good day. If you're lucky, this might happen to you. And you put so much effort into the things that you cannot control. And all of your hope is based on what happens by chance. Happiness is by chance where joy, joy what we learn, is by choice. That you choose to be joy, joyful. You choose to have joy in your life. That it is a choice. It is a decision that you make every single day. That you have to be careful letting the things that you can't control control you. Let me say it this way. Don't let the things that you can't control control you. There is another way. There is another way. And this is why we have the book of Philippians. That we're basing this whole series on the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your Bible apps, you can turn to Philippians chapter 1. That Philippians talks more about joy than any other book in the Bible. The Apostle Paul, he uses the word joy or rejoice 16 times. And he'll say it like this. He'll say, rejoice in the Lord always. He says, and I'll say it again rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, you rejoice. And the irony is, is the apostle Paul is writing this from a prison cell. He is writing this from, from being in prison. So no matter the circumstance, you can have joy. And although we call this the book of Philippians, it's not a book. It's just a letter. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing these Christians who lived in the city of Philippi. It's a European city. It's in modern day Greece. He had started this church. It was the very first church the Apostle Paul started. And he's writing this letter to them 10 years later on how to live, how to find joy in the journey. And we're going to pick this up in verse 12. And here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me? Here's what happens in our life. So many times we get stuck right here. We get stuck at this idea of what has happened to me. That if you only knew my story, then you would agree with me. If you only knew what happened to me, if you only knew what I went through, and so often we get stuck at this what has happened to me phase, that we live in a broken world. We live in a world that has war and sickness and murder and hatred. But there is a choice to make. It is joy. It is joy. You have to get over the distraction of whatever happened to you. And how we do that is we have to stop asking why. Because there's no answer to this. There is no answer to the whys that you ask. There is nothing that's going to satisfy you of why this has happened to you. And God never gives you the promise. God never gives you the promise that, that you won't face troubles in this world. In fact, Jesus says the exact opposite. Jesus said, 
In this world, you will have trouble. He says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He says that he will provide a way for you to overcome it. So you cannot get stuck in the why of what's happened to you. Well, he goes on here in verse 13, and he says, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. This whole palace guard, these are the ones who are over guarding him. This is the palace that he's, he's held into. These are over them. So what they often did in a Roman jail is if you were thrown into a Roman jail, you would be chained to your guard. And so Paul was chained to his guard. Possibly maybe it's, you know, they went on eight-hour shifts or 12-hour shifts. But this guy is constantly there. And, and I love this because the Apostle Paul says, it's become clear to everyone, which means that every guard that is guarding Paul, they hear his story. They hear about Jesus. Every single time a new one comes, they go, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you about Jesus, how Jesus is. I mean, they cannot get away from him. He just tells them the story time after time. Instead of asking why, we start asking what? What does God want to do in me? What is God's purpose? What is God teaching me? What does God want me to learn? What does God want me to do in this circumstance? Instead of just asking a why where there is no answer to the whys, there's no answer. We start saying, God, what would you have for me in this situation? What would you have me do? What do you need to teach me? What do I need to learn? Because this is where joy begins to come out when you begin to see God using your life in a way that he wouldn't have used it otherwise. If you think about it, if the Apostle Paul was not in a prison cell, we may not have the book of Philippians. There's, there's four books in the Bible, in the New Testament, we call them the prison epistles. We call them that because the Apostle Paul wrote these in prison. It's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. These are these four books that he wrote from prison. If the Apostle Paul had not been in prison... He would have been traveling around starting churches. He would have been traveling around preaching. And maybe he would have never had the time to write these books. But because he is in prison, he can speak into our life 2,000 years later. Because that's the way God works. We start asking what? What can I learn in the midst of this? Verse 14, he says, And because of my chains... Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. See, here's what you begin to learn. What you begin to learn is the way that you handle whatever circumstances people are watching you. People are watching how it affects you and what you do with this. Because the Apostle Paul is here, he says everyone else is watching him here. They become confident in the Lord. They start daring to share more and more. They start having this confidence because when we begin to, to embrace these difficulties, these struggles with what God wants to do, it doesn't just affect us. It affects everyone around us. It affects everyone who is watching us. And he goes on in verse 18. He says this. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, 
What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He talks about two things here. Now, this is, this is pretty cool as we begin to see this all come together. He talks about your prayers and the spirit of Jesus Christ. That these two things he talks about. But here's what's cool. Is this word provision. The root word for this, it's where we get our word chorus or choreography. So think about this. That your prayers are working in choreography with the Holy Spirit. That every time you pray, sometimes we get at this place of going, now, why do I pray? Because it feels like God's not doing anything. He says, every time that you pray, every time that you pray, it's working in choreography with the Holy Spirit to change things. That that is what we begin to see. And he says, I will continue to rejoice. I will choose joy because through your prayers and the Holy Spirit, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He goes on in this next verse. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. See, this right here, I'd encourage you. Because we get this idea that the Apostle Paul is superhuman. We get this idea that the Apostle Paul doesn't have any of the problems that we have. But here's what he says. He says, I eagerly expect and hope, I eagerly expect and hope that no way will be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. He's saying, even I need this sufficient courage in my life. Because there's times where I want to back down. There's times where I don't want to do anything. He goes, I just pray that I will have sufficient courage so that Christ will always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he says this right here. He says, for to me... To live as Christ and to die as gain. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because of Jesus, you cannot lose. Because of Jesus in your life, there is no circumstance that can change it. Nothing can change this. That there is no way for you to lose if you know him. And he goes on to explain this right here. He says this, he says, if I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. He says, I desire, he goes, I want to be with Jesus. He goes, that's what I really desire. But God's not done with me yet, and as long as I'm here, God has a purpose for me. So I'm going to live for Christ. I love the way Craig Groeschel says this. Craig Groeschel says, if you're not dead, you're not done. If you're here, God has a purpose for you, so you live for Christ. You live for Christ. So here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line that, that Paul wants to speak into us is that when you're in Christ, you're in a win-win situation. That when you are in Christ, you are in this win-win situation. Here's this guy who's speaking to us from a prison cell and says, I'm going to choose joy. No matter the circumstance, whether I live or whether I die, I'm choosing joy. I'm going to live for Christ. So here's my, here's my question for you. How would you fill this in right here? For me to live is what? 
I mean, if you were to be honest, now I know the Sunday school answer, and I know some of you go, well, for Christ, you know, because you know that's the right answer. But, but for you, if you're really to fill this in, for me to live is, is what? I think for some of us, it's just the pursuit of happiness, that we are on this pursuit of happiness. It's the American dream, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We feel like this is what we are about, is trying to pursue that. For some of you, it's for me to live as things. That if, if you were to really be honest, for me to live as things. And we bought into this lie that says more possessions equals happiness. More things equals happiness in our life. I wonder if you ask the people in your life who know you best what they would say. How they would Fill this in for you. Because maybe they would say, for you, your life is all about money. It's all about trying to get money. For you, it's sex or it's success. But here's how the Apostle Paul gives us this perspective. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so I want us to say this out loud together because I want this to be cemented into your mind. So let's say this together. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's say this together again. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What would it mean for you just to say, for me to live as Christ, and that becomes the filter for every decision that you make, for every choice that you make to live as Christ, that my decisions matter. The way I live my life matters. It's not just this random flip of the coin. For me, I'm going to live for Christ. So I think this is what we learn from Riley, to hear her story and to hear what she has gone through. It is this decision that she's made that God has me here for a reason, so I'm going to live for Christ. God has me here. This is the weekend that we celebrate the life of Martin Luther King Jr. And Martin Luther King, he said, he said this. He said, there are two things that you have to do in order to be free. Number one, he says, you have to forgive everyone for everything that they've ever done to you. And number two, you have to lose your fear of death. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. When he was 27 years old, he received a call that would change his life forever. Think about this, 27 years old. He was in his kitchen in Montgomery, Alabama, and he got a call on the phone. And they said to him, they said, if you are not out of town in three days, we're going to blow your house up and we're going to blow your brains out. And he said this overwhelming sense of fear just came over him. I'm trying to figure out how do I get my family out of here? What are we going to do? And he just prayed to God about this overwhelming fear in that kitchen. 27 years old, 1956. And he felt God say to him, Martin, you stand up for truth. You stand up for justice. You stand up for righteousness. To live as Christ. God has you here. You live for Christ. 
When we started the crossing 17 years ago, I had no idea we would have all of this. When we started the church, I had no idea that every week we would have thousands of people who would come over our two campuses and other thousand or so people who watch live online every week just had no idea. I have to be honest with you, it's sometimes just overwhelming to me. And I've never talked about this before, but before I go on stage every week, I usually just sit right over here. It's sometime during the worship time, I will look behind me and I will see all the people that are here. And one of the things that I pray every single week is I just say, God, I don't need this, but I need you. God, I don't want to be in love with this. I want to be in love with you. So God, you put me wherever you want me in my life. And here's what I have come to realize is that Whatever position I hold, it is temporary. Someday, there'll be somebody who replaces me. Whatever position I hold is temporary, but the way that I live my life, that's eternal. Wherever you are in your life right now, it's temporary. Whatever position that you have, it's temporary. The way you live your life, it's eternal. Here's how the Apostle Paul finishes this passage in chapter 1. He writes this in verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The gospel just means good news. Here's the good news, is that Jesus came to die for you. That's the good news. And the apostle Paul says, whatever happens, whatever happens in your life, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so here's the question to ponder. What did God save you from? What did God save you from? See, if you don't have an answer for that, this isn't going to mean very much to you. Where would you be in your life if Jesus didn't save you and change you? Because when you look at that perspective, that that's how you begin to live your life. You live your life in a manner worthy of of the calling that God has on you, of the gospel of Jesus. My dad was the most significant person in my life, that he marked my life in incredibly positive ways. People often think my dad was a pastor because I'm a pastor. That's just not the case. My dad was just a normal guy in our church. My dad was an artist. That's how he made a living. This is normal guy, but everything I am as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a follower of Jesus, it was shaped by my dad. And it was 18 years ago this week that my dad went to be with the Lord. The week before he died, we had announced that we were going to start the crossing. And we didn't have a name for this church. We didn't know what we were going to call it. We just had this vision of what God might do. And As soon as we announced that we were going to start the the crossing, I called my dad and I told him he was the first call I made. I said, Dad, we finally made the announcement that we're going to start this brand new church. And he was so excited about that, but he never got to see it. On January 12th, 2000, he went to be with the Lord. It was just suddenly we weren't expecting it. The next day, I found myself on an airplane flying home. 
And I was sitting with my mom and my siblings as we were just trying to take this all in. And we were going through his Bible. We're going through the Bible that, you know, was just so meaningful to me because this was the Bible that he used. And we came across this scripture. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I want to show you what he wrote in his Bible. It was this right here. He had highlighted this verse, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he has a little note down here. He says, to Satan, heads I win, tails you lose. It's a win-win. See, this isn't a whatever kind of life. This isn't just random. This is, I know exactly what my life is about. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Satan, whatever you try to throw at me, heads I win, tails you lose. As long as I'm alive, as long as I'm here, I'm going to live for Christ. And someday, it'll be even better because we'll be with Jesus. And there's this little cemetery in Peabody, Kansas, where my dad's buried. And on his headstone is that scripture. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because when you are in Christ, it is a win-win situation. That God has a purpose for you. So you live for Christ. God has not forgotten you. So you live for Christ. God is using whatever situation that you are in right now. So you live for Christ. You live for Christ. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. But I know that for some of you, you don't know Christ yet. You're not in Christ. And I want to give you the opportunity to start a relationship with Jesus today. Because I believe that this is the relationship that will change your life. That this is the perspective that we have for joy. Is that in Christ, I can't lose. And then for the rest of us, maybe for you, it's just making this decision in your life again to choose joy. To say, I live for Christ in all that I do. Let's just bow. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. God, right now, I believe that there are people in this room who are ready to start a relationship with Jesus. And it's just this first step of what you want to do in them. You want to begin this good work in them. That you just give them the courage to say, God, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. God, I pray that you would help us to have courage in the way that we live. That as we live for Christ, this joy comes out of us because of what you want to do. So God, we surrender to you again. We submit our lives to Jesus. And we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.